If you would turn to John chapter 11. He is risen. Last Friday night we had Jesus on the cross, took him down, he's been put into the tomb. We're going to actually this morning go back before that even happens, but the significance of what happens on Friday night and Sunday morning is because of what we will see him teach about in John chapter 11 today. And so we're going to look at Christ being the resurrection and the life and why this is important and how He raises us and, and the work that He does in our hearts. So we're going to read um, a good portion of this today, uh, John chapter 11, and just walk through and see the tremendous principles that are here, truths that are here um, for us in our lives. So if you would, read with me through verse 5, John 11, beginning in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. Let's read 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So I want to talk about the setting of John chapter 11 to kind of set things up as we begin to read through this this morning. So today we're going to encounter real people who are dealing with real situations in their lives where there are real moments that you have to face and you have to wrestle with and you have to think about in regard to how does God fit into this into our lives. There are moments in our life that are pretty gritty where we don't know what to do, but God comes into those moments and He ministers to us and lifts us up, encourages us, and empowers us to know what to do. We will see the wonder work of God today. How awesome He is when He steps into a setting. I've learned this to be true of my life and in the years that I've been on this planet, that I am not perfect. Any amens in the room this morning? I know that I am not perfect. Life is not perfect either. But I know that life is one of those real things where we experience God's goodness in the midst of things that sometimes are overwhelming and sometimes we don't know what to do in those moments. And it's in those kind of moments where we see that our faith actually has such a reality to it that it impacts us as we are dealing with life and walking through things. Now, when you talk about life, some people try to fake it. And I've been there before as well to try to pretend that I've got everything together and that I know where I'm going and all of that. But the reality is, is that's not living either. That's a pretense and it's just a form of a lie that we convince ourselves um, that we ought to do it and live a certain way that is fake and, and not real. I've come to know this to be true. That life with all of its warts and all of its wins and victories, that there is a goodness in the midst of that Because our God is good. And we will see the beauty of that as we walk through this text today. 
So I'm inviting you into a scene that we're going to read along with of real people dealing with the real moment and how a real God steps into those moments and gives them perspective and hope and a joy that cannot be found unless you have a relationship with Jesus. So the setting is the scene in Bethany. Jesus is um, not very long away from being on the cross on Friday night and entering into Passion Week. He would come to Bethany. He had, there was a family that was there, two sisters and a brother. We don't know if there are any others connected with it. They were talked about several times. And Jesus, when he would come to Jerusalem, would stay in Bethany at their home. It was a place, kind of his home to the south. He would rest. It's a place he could go. They would eat together. They would fellowship together. They would um, have community together. And it seems to be a place that he found to be a safe place away from the pressure he got from the religious leaders and the other things. And so this is where the setting is. Jesus, in the context of John chapter 11, is in the area where John the Baptist was baptizing. And so Jesus is there. Um, He's staying there before they make this final trek into Jerusalem for this last Passover that he will be a part of. And so while he's there, his friend named Lazarus has gotten ill somehow. We don't know any of the circumstances, but he's not in a season of allergies. Can anybody relate? He's sick. Sick to the point that doctors can't do anything. There's no medical school professor that can do anything. There's no medicine that they have in that day and time that can address that what is going on with Lazarus. And it is clear that he's not going to make it. So the sisters, knowing where Jesus is, that he's in the area where John was baptizing and Jesus is there, they send people from Bethany to where Jesus is to let him know that things are pretty dire back in Bethany with Jesus' friend Lazarus. And if Jesus doesn't get there then Lazarus is not going to make it. We know the story. He doesn't make it. And I want to start off this morning to remind you and I of this great truth. If there ever was a hopeless case of God being able to do something, it is the story when somebody's in a tomb for four days. Seems kind of final, doesn't it? Seems kind of like life is going to move by and everybody's going to have to deal with with the aftermath of what's happened in regard to this, and this is where we find ourselves. Jesus stays, gets word, they send word, he stays two more days before he heads back, and by the time he gets there, Lazarus will be in the tomb for four days. So that's the setting of John chapter 11. Now, if you noticed a while ago, when we read in verses 1 through 5, um, Jesus speaks about his glory. Now, what he's going to do is this. He's going to delay his rushing back. They've rushed to tell him what's going on with Lazarus. He's going to stay for a couple of more days before he begins the journey back to Bethany. And it might seem a little uncaring of him that somebody's rushed with a message that his friend is really ill and is not going to make it. But we know that Jesus is not uncaring, that he's incredibly good, he's incredibly loving. And so his delay is to not be interpreted as being uncaring or any other reason or negative thing about him. But Jesus is going to delay his return because when he actually gets to Bethany and he does this great work, God is going to get the great glory. Because after four days and someone walking out of the tomb, 
God is going to get the great glory because only God can do that great work. And so His delay is not designed to bring more pain into the lives of the friends and Mary and Martha. It's so that when Jesus does arrive, that they will be able to believe and see that Jesus deserves all of our devotion, all of our affection, and every bit of our lives. So in Bethany, they have the highest earthly crisis that's going on. Someone that you love is not going to make it. You know, sometimes in this life, life just is what it is. And sometimes what it is is painful and dark and we have to wrestle with a number of different things. And so what do we do? I think we do exactly what the sisters do. And I want to encourage everybody in the room this morning to do this. They're in that moment. And so what do they do? They get word to Jesus. I want to encourage everybody in the room this morning. If you're going through something right now, or if you're going to go through something in the days ahead, I want, to, I want, I want, I want us all to learn exactly what the sisters do. Get word to Jesus. Talk to Jesus. Get other people to talk to Jesus on your behalf. Let's talk to Jesus. And let's seek Him. And that's what they do. They want to get word to Jesus in the midst of the highest earthly crisis that they are dealing with. But we find out from the text that Jesus gets the word. He receives the word. And He knows everything that's happening. They didn't inform Him of something that He wasn't already aware of. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. He knows what's happening in Bethany. But again, He has a higher aim in mind for everybody that's going to be in Bethany in a few days. So He knows of the pain. Even though He's miles away, He can see what you and I cannot see. And He sees beyond the greater pain to the greater joy that He can do. And He even sees the outcome before we could ever see the outcome. And I tell you, all around the world today and all around in our lives and even probably in some of our lives, there are some grave issues that are going on, some very deep things. There's sickness, there's broken relationships, there's heartache that's there, there's sadness. Disease has run rampant over uh, the entire globe over the last couple of years. And so Lazarus gets, or Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick. Lazarus is in a place of weakness totally lacking in strength. He can't raise himself. Nobody can do anything. And so as they send word to Christ about this, this is a big task, a big ask that they're doing of Jesus, that he would be able to come and and speak into Lazarus' life or to touch Lazarus and do something. Is this not where faith enters into our life at times? We don't know what to do. And so we have to call out to God and cry out to God, God, we, we need you to step in and do this. And, and I love what the sisters do. They get word to Jesus. And the reason they get word, they wouldn't have sent anybody to go get word to Jesus if they didn't believe what? That he could do something. That he could actually step into this situation, as grave as it was, and to move and to act and to do something. Let me remind you and I of a great truth. We feel the pressure in life, often. We stay up late at night sometimes, wake up, or, or during the day we're stressed and, and we wrestle with things. I just want to remind everybody, God never feels pressure. He doesn't feel the pressure. We feel it. So that's why we go to Him, or we send word, or we ask people to join us to pray, and, or we have community, and we share with one another. And, and in this journey of life, as a 
the people of God. We get word to Christ. We cry out to Christ. And in desperation, we come to Him. And when we come to Him, He's never panicked. He doesn't feel the pressure. He is intimately involved, intimately aware, and knows everything that is there. There's also this, so there's this highest reality crisis that they're dealing with, but there's also a highest goodness and joy that the text mentions. Verse 5 tells us this, that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and loved Lazarus. One of the greatest things that we can know this morning, even in its simplicity, it is true and yet it is powerful and it's this, is that God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son. So everybody in the room this morning, regardless of your faith, your background, what you've done, what you have not done, I want you to know this, that God loves you. He proved it, by the Father did, by sending His Son. The Son proved how much He loves us by laying His life down for us to bear our sin and to give us the hope of eternal life. So you are loved today. I am loved today. And so even in the midst of this highest crisis that this family is dealing with, John wants, to, wants us to know that he loved, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus even in the midst of what they are going through. But here's the reality of these things. We all know this to be true. You live your life, 24 hours go by, you enter into another day and 24 hours go by and we have to wait sometimes as we deal with things and experience certain things. But I want to remind us of this truth, and I hope you hear it today. And it's this. Time, with more of it or even less of it, is not a problem for Jesus to still move. He is sovereign. He is powerful overall. He knows what to do, and He can do, and He is able. He's not dependent upon time, in a calendar, he can make it happen before something, he can make it happen during something, and he can make something after. So again, because he's not confined to time, something is not necessarily too late. They rush to him and he delays. For some they could see this, gosh, he's being insensitive. Didn't, didn't, didn't he love them? Doesn't he love them? Is he uncaring? No, he's not uncaring. Listen to this. He may delay, but He is never late. He may delay, but He is never late. And it's not wrong for Him to delay in this because He's going to do something greater in their life that they can't even see at this particular point in time. We wrestle with the weight. And we wrestle with the weight because our watch is never synchronized. I got a watch this morning. I can't wear a smart watch on Sunday morning. It messes with the microphones. So I can't. So I got a dumb watch, I guess. I don't know what this is. Got, a, got an old dumb watch. But it works. The problem with us in our lives is our life watch is never synchronized with eternity's time clock. And it's just always a bit different. And while we can't see what God's doing, what is God doing? He's always at work. That's what God's doing. He's always active. He's always doing something so that you and I would have our faith built and we would see the wonder of who he is. It's kind of like this. You go to a play, watch the opening act, 
Curtain comes. You hear something going behind the curtain. Curtain opens. Scenery is different. Second act ends. Curtain goes. Third act, same thing. It's hard for us. I'll just speak honestly. It's hard for us to, to see what God's doing behind the stage. But every now and then he pulls the curtain back and we see inside and we go, oh, that's what he's doing. If you've walked with God for any amount of time, you can look back on your life, can you not, to see that, oh, wow, in that moment, I couldn't see it then. But now I can see that he was up for doing something for my greater good and to his great, great glory. So highest crisis, highest joy is love. Sometimes in the midst of that, we have to wait on God. And sometimes it's just hard for us to see that. And so what we need is discernment. We need, a, we need an ability to be able to hear from God, to see what's going on in and around us. And so look with me now in verse 7. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And you're going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So verse 16, so Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I just want to touch on this just for a moment because it's so critical in the day and time in which you and I live. The ability to discern and critical think has kind of been tossed out the window. And you're probably like me. I watch the news or I read an article and, and you just, we, I just shake my head just going, how do people think like this? What's going on? The problem is this, is we've rejected an objective truth, which is the person of Jesus and the truth that is connected to God's Word. And our culture says, no, everybody can have their own truth. And so in a culture where everybody has their own truth and there's not an objective truth, then everybody's thinking in wacky ways at times and not discerning what really is true. And how do I get connected to what's true? And how do I walk in and stand in what is true? So we as Christ followers, we know that God is true. And that Jesus is the truth. That He is the life and that He is the way. We know that the Scripture is the truth. That we see the truth in the Scripture. And so what we need is an ability that God grants unto us. It's not one, and we we can develop some skills about this. But we need the Holy Spirit in our life to work for us to be able to recognize when lies are being told and to get ourselves connected to the truth. And so here are the disciples. They've been with Jesus for three years now. 
And sometimes he would say things, and they should have known by now that he's got a little bit more meaning connected to what he's saying there. And, and they're like, okay, falling asleep. Okay, look, uh, we, Jesus, we all go through allergy season and need to take naps, you know, just kind of deal with it. You know, you take an allergy pill and it just zonks you out. And, 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 and he's like, guys, come on. Why do you think people from Bethany rushed over here to tell us that Lazarus was ill? This isn't, this isn't a normal sickness. This isn't cold season. Lazarus has died. And he's not here anymore and he's not going to be with us. Our friend Lazarus is not with us anymore. So I want, I want to remind you and I this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're here today and you're interested in this, um, what we're talking about today, a relationship with the God who loves you and cares about you. Christ followers, we need biblical discernment to be a big part of our life, to know what Jesus says about life and to experience it. So what we need to develop this discernment are two things that he speaks about here. Here's the first one. There is a necessity that we must believe that Jesus is God and that our faith must rest in who he is. So he says there in verse 15, Jesus says, he told them plainly, Lazarus has died and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there for this reason because when we get there, you're going to believe because of what I'm going to do. So I'm glad that I wasn't there but so that you would, would believe. And so there's a necessity that we must have to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus is always after greater belief, always after greater faith that we have in who He is. The second thing that we need, and we really need it in today's day and time, is exactly how Thomas responds here. Thomas has gotten a bad rap. There was a moment of time in Thomas's life where on this night of the, the resurrection, he wasn't in the room when Jesus appears. Thomas is out doing something. We don't know where he was and what he was doing, but he wasn't there. And so when he comes back, they're like, Jesus showed up tonight. And Thomas is like, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. And we take in that one moment in Thomas's life and said, well, he's, what do we call him? Doubting Thomas. He's not very doubting in verse 16. Remember where they said, last time we went to Jerusalem, they wanted to kill you. And Thomas is like, okay, if he's going to Jerusalem, guys, guys, we're going with him. And that means if we're going with him and they're going to kill him, they're going to kill us as well. So here's what believers need in a world of a multiplicity of truths that they call truths that aren't truths. We need a deep, firm, settled belief in Jesus as the Son of God. And we need to count the cost like Thomas is willing to do here. If we're going to Judea, I'm going with him. See, Thomas's belief in this setting was that Jesus was his greater treasure. And if it meant losing his life and going with Jesus back to Judea, he was willing to do that. So let me give you a principle. Y'all ready? Ready? Yes, shake your head. Ready? Don't write off people by only looking at one scene of their life. We all have some bad scenes, right? Anybody not have a bad scene? We'll have you raise your hand and we'll get you up here to teach the rest of the time. We all have moments that looking back and just go, I can't believe I did that. 
but we can't let those moments define us. And I tell you, Thomas here, pretty passionate. Look with me in 17 now. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Now I want you to note what she says in 21 here. They're both going to say the same thing. So Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, yeah, I know that, that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, no, Martha, I'm not talking about the last day. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. We're not talking about an event, Martha. We're talking about a person. That person is me, and you're talking to I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Look at 26. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And in 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now I want to talk about this just for a moment, because the setting just changes and some amazing things began to happen and take place. Who they have been waiting for has finally arrived. They've been waiting for Jesus to show up. But from a human perspective, it's like, gosh, it's a little, little late. Four days now. He has been in the tomb. And so there's some questions we, we ought to ask at this moment. Well, what will he do now that he's arrived? How's he going to explain to the sisters that they rushed where to get to him and he stayed a couple more days before he came? What kind of things was he going to do to speak to them and comfort them in the midst of where they are? But I think there's an even more important question to ask than that. And it's this question. Is it too late? Or is it not too late? Can he still do something with Lazarus? Or is it too late? From a human perspective, it seems like all hope would be lost in regard to any kind of change coming and happening and taking place. But, but, anytime Jesus steps into a place, anything can happen. Any change can come. Nothing is too late for the one who is sovereign over all things. And what they do not know is that his moment has arrived. This is the moment that he's been waiting for. Remember what I said a while ago? God's timing is everything. When God decides to move, God moves. And when he moves, he does things. And so so Martha hears. Jesus is finally here. She gets up. And she goes to him. And so it says in verse 20, when she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. I want to remind you and I this morning of this great principle that we learned from Martha here, is that when pain comes into our life, when trouble comes into our lives, go and meet Jesus face to face. Get in His presence. And that's exactly what she does. She hears that He's there. She's been waiting for him to come. They sent word for him to come. Now he's present. She doesn't wait. She goes and she meets him face to face. And when she gets there, she acknowledges who he is. She says the word, Lord. You're the Lord. You're over everything. 
And then she says the same thing that her sister Mary is going to say in just a moment. They say the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So she goes and meets Jesus face to face. She acknowledges that he's Lord, that he's over all things. And then I love what she says in 22, but even now, even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. When we get there and we acknowledge His Lordship, we should not lose faith or have a lack of faith that He is able. He is able. He is able. And so she says, even now I know that all you got to do is talk to your Father and He'll give you what you ask. And so he says to her, Martha, your brother's going to rise. And she's like, Lord, yeah, again, discernment. Yeah, I know. I know the doctrine of the resurrection of the last day. I know that he's going to rise at the end of time. And Jesus is like, no, Martha, I'm not talking about the last day. I'm talking about today. I am the resurrection and the life. And he says to her, your brother's going to rise again. And so Jesus speaks into our lives, not with earth's words, but He speaks into our lives with eternal words designed to comfort and to shift our perspective from all that we can see is hopelessness. There's not an answer to this. To shift our eyes from hopelessness to see that there's great hope because of who Christ is. And sometimes we do this. We adults, really. Kids and teenagers, they learn from us wrongly. We get so caught up thinking about the future. Oh, when I get to that place, that we don't live in the now. So here's Martha thinking, yeah, I know, Lord, I know He's going to rise at the last time. And He's like, no, no, no. Let's don't talk about the last day. Yeah, that's true. Let's talk about today, right here in Bethany. What could happen? Because I'm the resurrection in the life. You see, the now holds Great promises. This morning, right now, holds some of the greatest promises for us in our lives. It is only the words of Jesus that can comfort us. And so He speaks to to Martha about this. And He's trying to turn her heart from thinking about a future thing or something that can happen to see that something can happen. And so look at 25. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He's saying this to Martha. It's not about the event, Martha, that you're thinking about that's going to happen in the future. You need to talk about today. You need to think about today. And right here in your presence, you need to talk about the one who can bring about the resurrection and the life. It's not the event, it's the who. It's the who behind the event. It's the who who can do this. And so to think about the person doing the resurrection, Martha, think about that. And that is me. I am the resurrection and I am the life. I'm the one who's going to do the raising of people to life in the resurrection. Without me, there is no resurrection. There is no new life. There is no relationship. There is no spiritual resurrection. There is no resurrection in the future if Jesus doesn't die and raise from the grave. And so he, he's a sh- trying to get her to see... Look at me. And I think in the, the Lord this morning wants to say to all of us, 
On this resurrection morning, 2022, He wants to say to you and I, look at Me. I am the resurrection and the life. I am who you need. I raise your life up. I can bring you out of your bondage to some kind of addiction. I can bring you out of your past that you don't feel like you can ever get out of. I am the one who raises people to life. And I do that because I am. I am. I am God. I am the one who does this. So I raise people. I raise their circumstances. And I, when I do that, I give life. I want to ask a real honest question this morning. Is anybody in the room needing life this morning? Do you need life in your relationship? Do you need life in whatever area? There's only one who can do that. And it's Him. It's the one who came and died and rose again. Well, it's interesting what happens in the text. Look with me in 28 now. Let's read a little further. So when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, probably whispering in her ear, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, here again, exact same phrase that her sister. They didn't practice this. It's just this is what was heavy on their heart. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And I want to stop there just for a moment. I want to talk about something I think is really important this morning connected to the story and connected to the resurrection of Jesus. Because he walked out of the tomb, our life here on earth has endless possibilities in regard to knowing who he is. In experiencing what Jesus talked about, that the thief in John 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give life and life abundantly. And if this is why He came, that we would come to have life and life abundantly, regardless of what may come, how does that come about? What do we need to deal with? What are some things that we need to to face? Both sisters come to Jesus, different. One fell at His feet, one came to him, talked to him face to face. Both said the same thing. And because they both said the same thing, they must have talked about this quite a bit. And so now they're in his presence, and it just naturally flows out of what they have been talking about. If only he could have been here. If he could have just gotten to Bethany, we wouldn't be where we are. And then they say the phrase, it's a two-letter word in English, if, if. If you had been here, this would not have happened to my brother. So everybody hear this this morning. We all have to deal with the ifs in our lives, do we not? There's always going to be ifs. They will raise their head. Ifs. Let me give you some of those ifs. If we had not moved 
we would have just stayed where we were. If I had not taken that job, if my health, if my boss, if COVID had not entered the world, if my spouse were different, then I would be different. And your spouse is saying, well, if my spouse were different, then I would be different. People ask this, if I hadn't gone there and made that decision and did what I did, where if he or she would just, then I, then I would be different. If I had more money, then I would have better trust. If God would do this, then I would, I'd follow Him. If God would do this, I'd surrender to Him. If God would bring this about, I'd be on board. Well, if the church would be this, or if the church would believe this, or if the church would emphasize this, or if that thing had not been said to me and hurt me, then I would responded differently or I would have lived differently. And we could be here all day saying if, if, if. And what I want to say this morning is what comes out of the text. It's not if. It's that He can. He can. He is able. And so they both say the same thing. If you had been here, hello, He's there. And He's God. And He's not confined by time. Four days is nothing. And so He's like, where's the tomb? I love the beauty of what happens next. Look at what the text says. Let's go back to 34. And so he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened, this is another if in a sense, it's word could, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this, kept this man from dying? 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, listen to her excuses why you shouldn't do this. By this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. I don't read the King James. I'm not a... Read the King James, you're okay with that. But um, I, I don't understand it, but it's funny in this if you have the King James. She says, he stinketh at this time. It's been four days. You roll that stone away, Jesus, we're all going to fall down on the ground. It's not going to be worship. My brother's been dead four days. He stinks. Look at 40. Jesus always speaks in the midst of our doubts. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. That was faith. Took it away. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around. Listen, what he's going after. This is what he's going after. That they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, Come out. 
Let me just stop here for a moment as we wind things down. One of the most amazing things that's in the Bible is in the shortest verse of the Bible. God having tears run out of his eyes. That's amazing. Here he is in the tomb. He sees people weeping and crying. His friend is dead. There's a lack of faith that's happening in and around the tomb that he can still do something. And so there's a, it says there that Jesus is moved in the spirit. In the Greek, it, it describes a horse. If you've ever seen a horse that is stomping on the ground and it snorts, it's, it, it's angry. There's an anger that's there, and he's angry in the garden. He's angry that nobody's believing that he can do something. He's angry at what sin has done, that sin has brought death and separation and such devastation in relationships and economies and all kinds of things. And so they're standing in the midst of everything that sin represents. He's going to watch. He is going to bring not more death. He's going to crush death, and he's going to bring life. And he stands there. And God in skin is so moved emotionally that his eyes cannot contain the tears and they go down his cheeks. And those that were nearby, I thought, see, look how much he loved this family, how much he cared for them. Well, nothing is too late with Jesus, as we've talked about, and he could do something right there. And so he's moved, and he moves, and he speaks. They roll away the stone, and he says, and by the way, it was a good thing that he did this, that he specifically called one person. Because if he would have just said, come out. Do you know what happened on Friday afternoon before the resurrection? That when he died, it said the tombs of the saints of old opened up in Jerusalem and those dead people walked around the city. That's how powerful the life and death of Jesus was. And on this day, the power of the Son of God was Lazarus, dead man Lazarus, come out of your tomb. Come out. And can you imagine just being in that setting? And seeing a dark shadow come out from inside and step into the light. And this is exactly what happens. Is that Jesus calls him forth. He comes forth. And I love what Jesus says here and and what it says or John writes there in 41. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. In 42, I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of everybody standing around here today, that they may believe that you sent me to be the one to do this great work, that I would come and die and I would rise again because I am the resurrection and the life. And this is a picture with Lazarus in John 11 of what he does with all of our lives. He calls us from the grave and he calls us into life. He calls us from the darkness into light so that we will know the glory of what it means to have life that is connected to the glorious Son of God. And so here is why today in this room, He's calling you and me. He's calling some of us in the room this morning who do not know Him. He's calling you to Himself to be in a relationship, 
with Him to walk out of the tomb when He calls you. And those whom He calls, they come forth and He will keep you and you will be His. And He can do this for this reason. Because the Father hears every word that Jesus speaks. And because the Father hears every word that Jesus speaks, He has the voice that can call forth the spiritually dead unto life. The effect of Jesus' voice is incredible. So when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Changed him forever. Now Lazarus would die again. Can you imagine the testimony that you could tell? One of the reasons they wanted to kill Jesus as well because of what he did with Lazarus. John's gospel speaks about that. But let me close with this thought. There are a lot of things in our life this morning in a room this size with people like us that we're stuck in. Tombs. They don't have anything to do with God. They're just death, addiction, heartache, bad spending habits, financial issues, anger that wells up in us that keeps us locked away in a tomb and hurts all of our relationships. There's all kinds of things today, tombs that we could be in. And I want you to hear the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he died on that Friday. He rose on the third day. That for the last 2,000 years, he has been calling people out of the tomb to come into relationship with him. That's what he's been doing. And so some of us know him. And we've gone back into tombs. And are more acquainted with the darkness of sin than we are with the light. And I want you to hear his loving call of a God who weeps to call you as a believer back out into the light. I'm assuming here I've got to be careful. Do you think everybody stayed away from Lazarus? What do you think Mary and Martha did? What do you think they did? think they went up there. Do you think the stink mattered? No. Because watch, when God moves, nothing matters. Nothing matters. And they remove his grave clothes and he joins the community of people once again. This living God is in this room right now. Can you feel the, can you feel, the, I feel the power in this room right now. Feel it. And he's calling you out of the tomb to be in relationship with him. Let's pray together.